You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good to see you guys here. Today we are continuing our our walk through 1 John. And uh, what's cool about 1 John is it is like a like a big kind of punch in the face a little bit. Uh, it is a challenge to uh, to kind of take a look at 1 John because it, it, it causes us to take a, a deep look in the mirror. Um, I mean, if there was a, if there was a machine, if there was a test that we could take to see if we were genuine Christians or poser Christians, uh, this is the test. First John is a spiritual lie detector test. It is, it reveals who the bogus and who the genuine are when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now, some of you immediately might be thinking, well, how can we even make that call? I mean, only God knows a person's heart. That is absolutely true that only God knows a person's heart. No one can, can see, uh, you know, the condition of someone's spirit. But we can look at the fruit or the evidence of a life. I mean, if, if you are an apple tree, uh, pears don't drop off your branches. If you are an apple tree, oranges do not grow on your tree. There is absolute clear fruit that drops off the tree that's rooted deeply in Christ. And so what is that fruit? Uh, Some people say, well, we don't really have the right to judge a person. Well, um, if you were in your small group this last week, that's exactly what you guys studied for the first half of the small group is, can we really judge people? We're going to talk about it in our young adults group this week. Um, Just a couple of highlights from that study, just to kind of lay a foundation. Can we really make that call? Well, what does Jesus say about judging others? Immediately people like to go, well, Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. But what they don't read is the whole passage. That whole passage is not saying, do not judge. It's saying, be careful how you judge because you will be judged according to how you judge. And he's talking to hypocrites. He's talking to the Pharisees saying, Pharisees, don't judge because you are hypocrites. And then he goes on to say, in the same manner in which you judge, you will be judged. Because in another place, in John 7, 4, Jesus says, uh, do not judge by appearance, but judge, telling followers of himself, followers of Christ. He says, but judge with right judgment. In Matthew 7, he says that we are to watch out for false prophets and that we are to judge them or know them by the fruit. We are to recognize if they are legit by their fruit. The apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4 says that we should be prepared to make that judgmental call to correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience. And in 1 Corinthians 5, he says that we are not to judge unbelievers, but we are as Christians to judge other Christians according to their lives. So what we're going to do today is, is we're going we're gonna to judge the only person that really matters, ourself. Because this is what 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says. Paul says this, the Apostle Paul, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, take a look in the mirror to see if you're the real deal. He says, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. It's like scary stuff. Seriously, he says, you know, take a look in the mirror. Are you really a Christian? And then he says, and I trust you will discover 
that you have not failed the test. He says, man, I, I really believe that you're who you say you are. So John actually gives us 10 spiritual test questions, 10 questions that determine the genuine from the bogus. Last week, we looked at two. Today, we're going to look at two. In the next coming weeks, we're going to look at 10. John, First John, this little tiny four-chapter, 22 passages hardly, um, we have in 22 passages, in 22 different verses, 10 tests in four little chapters. You can read the whole thing right now in 15 minutes, but let's take a look at it piece by piece. Looking in the mirror and looking at someone else, how do you know someone is legit? Well, I, I want to say this first. Um, I've got this ping pong ball and this softball. Now, the softball is quite a bit heavier than this ping pong ball. Now, Aristotle, uh, he was a philosopher and an early scientist. And what he projected is Aristotle had the law of fall, which basically said that things would fall faster according to their weight. But Galileo, 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 uh, he... (laughs) Galileo, Galileo. Um, Sorry. Galileo actually had a law of motion that was a speed of motion, bodies of motion that was, and, and Brian's probably correcting the whole thing in his head. He's a, he's, a, he's a scientist. This is physics. Obviously, I'm not a physics teacher. Bear with me. All right, now Galileo suggested, and he said, no, they're going to fall at the exact same speed. Now, that went actually untested for long, for hundreds of years. And, uh, And finally, Galileo proved it. Uh, It's said that he went up to the top of a very popular current landmark called the Tower of Pisa. He went up to the Tower of Pisa, and he dropped two large, uh, well, one large item and a small item off the top of the Tower of Pisa. And to everybody's amazement, what do you think they found? Let's try it out. Let's see if I drop them here. Well, maybe it wasn't high enough. Well, let's try it here. Okay, well, let's make it up here. What did you notice? That they fell at the exact same speed. They fell at the exact... It didn't matter if one was... I could take a bowling ball right now and this ping pong ball and in a, and in a perfect vacuum where there were no variables... To, to throw off uh, this, this ping pong ball like a wind or a gust or any kind of, uh, you know, uh, any kind of friction at all in the air. Uh, in, a, in a perfect world, it, with no variables, two completely, you would drop off a building at the same speed as an elephant would drop off a building. Now, here's what's interesting about this is that they didn't believe him when he told them, and they still didn't believe him after he showed them. And it actually took many, many years, and and in some cases, hundreds of years in many cultures, despite the fact that had been proven and the evidence that had been given, people just could not reconcile in their heart and in their mind the two objects that weighed differently could fall at the exact same speed. I think we have the Galileo syndrome in church because what we have is we have pastors and preachers and we have the word of God 
the Word of God tells us very clearly the, the, the plan, the purpose, and, and God's standards in His life. And his, his Word is clearly laid out for us. And it's showed to us through the lives of people and through God's Word. It's taught to us. And even though we see it, and even though we hear it with our own eyes and with our own ears, we still just cannot seem to believe it. And we just like the people of, of Galileo's time, we just can't reconcile that this is true. It just can't be true. Guys, we're looking at First John today. The ball is getting dropped. You're going to see the evidence of God's word. Just because it doesn't connect with your view, it doesn't mean that it's not true. Just because you can't reconcile this passage or this verse or this book, it doesn't mean it's not true. They held tightly to what was so untrue. We pick what we want. We sometimes uh, choose what we want to believe and don't want to believe before we even find out whether it's true or not. Break through the Galileo syndrome today. And let's look at two more questions from 1 John. Okay? If you want to know who really knows God, two more questions from 1 John. Let's pick it up right where we left off last week in 1 John chapter 2 with verse 3 is where we left off. So verse 3 says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, meaning I know Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar is a liar and the truth is not in him but if anyone obeys his word god's love is truly made complete in him it's it's meaning he's maturing and growing in it this is how we know we are in him this is everybody say this is how we know this is how over and over and over and over again in this tiny little letter from from john He says, this is how we know. This is how we know. This is how we know. Verse 6, this is how we know. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So here's the third question, but the first one today, and that is, this is the obedience question. And the question is, am I obeying his commands? Am I obeying the commands of Jesus? Am I obeying his commandments? This tells us following Christ is more than just a surface acknowledgement of belief in fact jesus never said just believe me he said basically believe in and follow me walking with jesus is a walk and we talked about that last week now jesus goes very clear he he tells his disciples multiple times you're going to unpack this in your small groups this week jesus says if you love me you'll obey me just that simple If you truly are one of mine, you'll walk in my words. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about progress. And this is important because some of you, I can't obey everything. I struggle. I'm not talking about, God's not talking about, John is not implying that we are all going to be perfect, but he is implying that when you walk with Jesus, you make progress. 
that you begin to walk and move. We fail, but are you going in the right direction? Are you struggling? Are you making excuses? Are you struggling or excusing? This is about a process. We talked about this walk last week. And I'm not saying that you are made right by God with your actions because we are made right in God through Christ alone, through acknowledging what Christ has done for us and choosing to turn from our life and turn to the grace and and love of Christ and to follow Christ. That is what makes us a child of God. We are regenerated. That means made new. We are born again. That means we get a new start, a fresh life. And a process begins, not of perfection, but a process of maturity. So three things about obedience, just so that you know what we're talking about. First thing is this, those who know God obey even when it's inconvenient. So when we're talking about obedience, we're talking about people who obey even when it doesn't seem convenient. See, when we start the journey often with God, uh, we, we dive in and we're like, man, this is awesome. I can do this. This is easy. We got this. And then all of a sudden, as you read God's word and you're challenged through God's word and, and through mentors and accountability or, or through Bible study, all of a sudden you're confronted with your life and things that need to change. Now you become a child of God through what Christ has done for us, but as we follow Jesus, we understand and learn what he asks of us as his follower. And all of a sudden we're confronted, well, am I really a follower or just, am I just one that wanted to join the party? Am I truly a follower or did I just not want to go to hell? Am I someone who's truly going to obey God's word or obey what I want to do, my opinion? Along the way, we start off living for God, but then all of a sudden things get fuzzy. And if we only obey God when it's convenient, God is no longer God, but he's merely our consultant. And God does not do consulting work. God is not a counselor to the person who's just looking for advice. The Holy Spirit is our counselor who points us to the words of Christ. But he is not a consulting agent. He is not one who you just kind of throw in the mix of what does God think. It is actually his way or no way. Proverbs 3, 5. Some of you guys know this verse. It says this in 5 through 8. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That means you give him everything you got. You just throw it all in. Trust the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That means there's going to be things you don't understand. There's going to be things that aren't making sense. You just got to trust God with everything you got. Don't lean on what you think about life and things. Trust the Lord with all your heart. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. That doesn't mean, God, I acknowledge you and I'm going to do my own way. Acknowledge him means, God, I'm going your way. I'm doing things your way. It says, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will what? He'll make your path straight. That means he'll clear away for you. That's what that means. If you trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways, he'll clear the path for you. And then it says this, don't be wise in your own eyes. These next few verses we don't tend to quote because they don't fit on the mug. Um, Verse 7 says, don't be wise in your own eyes. It's just the opposite. You can either choose to do things God's way or you can do your way. 
be wise in your eyes. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord, shun evil. This, I love this, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This doesn't mean that if you follow God, you'll never be sick. What it means is that you will be a healthy person. You'll have healthy relationships. You'll have a healthy marriage. You'll have a healthy family. If you will, don't try to follow the advice of some, you know, you know, psychology guru, unless they're basing their information on God's word, because we are to trust him with all of our heart, lean not on our own understanding, acknowledge him in all our ways, and he will clear the path. Don't be wise in our own eyes. Shun evil. You're going to have a healthy life. Now, I don't know anybody here that doesn't want that. But that's what you get when you obey God. When you obey God, even when it doesn't seem to be convenient. Example, some people who are planning on marriage, <clears throat> you know, the Bible's kind of clear that he loves marriage. God loves marriage. He loves love. God is love. And we're going to read that in this, in this book, actually, in this letter later on. Jesus, man, he has a beautiful plan for love and marriage and relationships, boyfriend and girlfriend. But God's plan is for you to wait to have intimate sex and any kind of intimacy until you get married where that shelter and that safety that protection and god's with you on that okay he created sex he wants that to be part of the plan for your love however outside of his plan it just causes confusion it can prolong a bad relationship and ruin a good relationship but i meet many couples who are planning on getting married and they live as if they already are uh, they sleep together, they live together, and they'll say, well, yeah, God says this, but, but you don't understand, we can't afford it if we live apart. It, we're saving money, we're, we're getting ready, it's good for our insurance. Uh, you, you don't understand, I, I wouldn't collect support for uh, financial reasons. It's so our family, you know, we, we want to get married, but our family won't be able to be here till next year. So we're just going to live together and we got a, mar- a wedding a year out, you know. So it's all these other reasons why or we want to finish college. I want to get married, but I just want to finish college first. Or it's inconvenient to get married. We, we, I love her, but I don't, I don't know if I like really love her. Just don't tell her that. <laughs> She won't be living with you. Um, and some people say, well, we just really love each other and we just can't wait. Well, you know, obeying God is not always convenient. Obeying God doesn't always save you money. Obeying God doesn't always make it easy on everybody. In fact, it's just the opposite. Sometimes obeying God is inconvenient. Sometimes obeying God is very hard on the family. Sometimes obeying God means that people don't understand. But when you obey God and you shun evil, it's health. You're you're laying a platform of health for your relationship, for your future marriage, for your friends, for your family, for your kids. Because I know so many Christian, using quotation fingers, Christian couples who are living together. But when it comes time to having kids, they want their kids to wait till they get married. How come it's okay for you, but not okay for your kids? 
And, and how are you going to stand with your kids one day as a young adult and say, you know what, we should have done it, but it worked out pretty good. <laughs> but we don't want you to do it. You know, you're building equity and of health into your family's future when you obey God, even now. So that's just a whole thought, a uh, separate thought. Uh, do you treat God's word as a suggestion in life or as direction in life? Here's the second thing, uh, three things about obedience is, is number two, is that those who know God obey even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't make sense. There are things that we just can't know about what God's doing. There are things we will not know about what God is doing. Um, This is where faith comes in. I mean, it is impossible to please God without faith. Faith is trusting and believing and knowing in something that you cannot see. That's vision. Vision is seeing what is not visible, right? And it is impossible to please God without faith. And we expect somehow that we can live our life without faith. That we want facts on everything. We want evidence about everything. We want the paper. We want the, we want the, uh, you know, the, the graph. We want to show, you know, it just financially doesn't make sense for us not to live together. Well, you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't make sense to follow God. That's called faith. Well, everybody else or my family says I should do this. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense sometimes. It's called faith. That's why we trust the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on our own understanding. Acknowledge him in all our ways. He will clear the path, make our path straight. Even though sometimes it doesn't make sense. Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9. He says, The Lord is talking to Isaiah, and he says, uh, Isaiah, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh, Neither are my ways your ways, uh, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Guys, listen, you cannot always figure out, you most of the time will not figure out what God is doing. Acknowledge that. Own that. Embrace that. It's called a life of faith. It's beautiful. It's freeing. Some of you guys have real control issues. I say guys, meaning guys and gals. I'm from up north, so everybody's a guy. Some of you in this room have real control issues. And God says, you know what? Sometimes you just got to have faith in what my word clearly says. It's not always going to make sense. Remember, when you were 14 and 15 and you knew more than your parents did? You realized you didn't need to go to bed even though your parents knew you'd be exhausted in the morning? That you didn't need a jacket even though you're freezing to death? And they'll say things, just because you're cold doesn't mean I'm cold. Just because you get tired doesn't mean I get tired. Looking back, I was unwilling and I was incapable of seeing the bigger picture because of my immaturity. And we do the exact same thing with God. When we get to a verse we don't like, we skip it or we just do our own thing because it just doesn't fit what we think. Abraham in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, by the way, is this like this this list of people who who didn't see what God was doing in the now, but saw it in the future, and they they lived it by faith. 
And it's called the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. One of these guys was named Abraham, and he didn't know what was God, uh, he didn't get what God was saying. He was an old man who God said, you're going to have kids. And uh, he said, I want you to get up and I want you to go to a place. I want you to move out of your home in Ur and I want you to go to this mystery place you've never been. And he did it. He says, you're going to be a nation of hundreds of millions of people. Your descendants will outnumber the stars. And yet he had no children and a wife that was barren. And he said that you are going to have a son. And when he did have a son, he said, all right, this is possibly the only son that you're ever going to have. And I want you to take him up to this mountain. And I want you to give him as a sacrifice and see if you'll lay him on the altar for me. Abraham didn't understand any of this, but he obeyed the Lord. Now, God intervened and, and basically revealed a tremendous amount of things to Abraham through his faith, even though it didn't make sense. Guys, we have examples in the scriptures, and and I'm not talking about like the harebrained ideas. I'm not talking about impulses, financial impulses, relational impulses, or, or physical limbs, or physical impulses, risky stuff. I'm talking about very clear commands in scripture. Obey, even when it doesn't make sense. Third thing about obedience is that those who know God obey even when it brings temporary pain. And this is a big one because sometimes obeying God doesn't always work in the long run, or sorry, in the short run. Because obeying God always works in the long run, but sometimes the immediate effects of obeying God is pain. Sometimes the immediate effects of God are, are of being honest is, are painful, of telling the truth are painful, of standing against injustice can be painful. The, the immediate effects of, of choosing to be pure can be painful. Hebrews 5 says this. It says, uh, this mystery writer, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some say Paul, some say Barnabas. We don't know, but he wrote to Hebrew people. So the book's called Hebrews. Yeah, pretty original name, huh? So in Hebrew, uh, Hebrews 5, the writer is talking about how even Jesus, who knows all things and who is God himself, He learned submission through obedience and pain. He says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And although he was a son, meaning although he was God in the flesh, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus himself experienced a tremendous amount of suffering through his obedience. Ultimately, it, it was his life that was given because of it. The reality is sometimes there is suffering when you do the right thing. A mountain is sometimes arrived at through a valley. The more I know God, the more I realize that obeying God is not always convenient. At times, it does not make sense and can even be temporarily painful and it can even cost friendships. The obedience question, are you obeying God's commands. Here's the second question that John asks. Let's pick it up where we left off in 1 John 2, 7. Uh, John gives another. He says, Dear friends, I'm writing you a new command, but an old one. He says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard or which you have known since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. You've heard this before. Yet, I am writing you a new command. I'm like, man, this guy's schizophrenic here. He says, it's not a new one, but it's a new one. 
Basically, he's saying, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something right now, too. He's about to say something that's not new, but let it be new. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm going to tell you a command that you all have and you all know, but embrace it like it's the first time you ever heard it. That's what he says. It's not new, but it's new. He says, I'm writing to not tell you something new, but I am giving you something new. The truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Talking about, you know what? Christ is here. He has arrived. He's shown us the way. Then he asks, Here's the second question today, and here's where we're going to wrap it up. Is number nine, uh, verse nine, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Here's the second question. I call it the love question. And and really it's about, it's the hate question, but it's the love question. And here's the question I have for you. Is there somebody you won't forgive? Is there someone I won't forgive? That's the question you need to ask yourself. You think, well, I just, I just can't, I just can't let go what that person said. I just can't let go of what that person did. What my parents did is unexcusable. What my uncle did, what my family did, what my boss did, what my brother did, it's just, it's unexcusable. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to love that person. You've heard this before. Let it be new to you. If you hate somebody, you don't know God. That's pretty intense. That is intense. Two things about this. The more I know God, I realize this. Those who know God... Trust him to bring about justice. You're like, justice, yeah, take him out. You know, you're like, we love the vengeance movies, right? Every mo- You can watch a movie. I'll, I'll usually turn to my family and go, yeah, that guy's going to die at some point in the movie. Because they set up the, the bad guys, and you're like, you're just waiting for at some point where they're going to die, right? You're like, oh, that guy's a jerk. He's going to die later. You watch. He's going to die. Because the movie, like, gives you bad people that you want to hate so that when they kill them off, you go, yeah, because we're all vengeful people. It's, it's, it's evil. It's in our heart. Movies that cream the bad guy, and we're like, yeah. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus had people that hated him, and he did not hate them. This is what it says in, in verse 51, a little story maybe you've never heard. In verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resoundly set out for Jerusalem. They were traveling along this road, and they were passing through an area called Samaria. And as he sent messengers on ahead uh, who went into Samarian village to get things ready for him, the reason he sent them in is that they were in an area called Samaria, and it was a Samaritan village. And you got to understand, Jesus and his disciples were all Jewish, and Samaritans and Jewish people hated each other. They had racial conflict. I mean, it was like if there was CNN and Fox News, they'd be right there riding in the streets all the time between Jews and Samaritans. It was a lot of racial hatred in that period. So, and in that time, so what they did instead of going into town with Jesus, they said, Jesus, hang outside of town, and we're going to go on ahead and see if we can find a place to stay. So they went ahead to get the place ready for him, but the people there 
did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. That means basically no vacancy, no room for Jews. And that's exactly the attitude of the Samaritans, and it was unfortunately the attitude of the Jewish people too. Now when the disciples, James and John, we're going to talk about them in a second, saw this, they asked the Lord, I love this, Lord, Jesus, do you want us to call down, uh, call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Let's burn the place to the ground! Right? <laughs> These guys are insane! Two of disciples, two of Jesus' disciples said, Jesus, let's curse them and call down hellfire and burn the entire town up. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they just went to another village. Now, you got to understand, these two guys, James and John, they were brothers. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. In Mark 3, Jesus had given them a name. He called them the Boanges brothers, which means sons of thunder. That means guys that like to fight. So Jesus had on his team some guys that were just sons of thunder, uh, very angry, very hate-filled and Jesus said, but I see somebody different in you. I see a peaceful, loving, caring, forgiving person. And this attitude you have is going to stop. He rebuked it, and he just moved on. Apparently, this was a pattern for them. I want you to know that sometimes the justice in, there is not justice in their life, this life, and sometimes there is. Sometimes the bad guy gets away. Sometimes the guy you want to go to jail doesn't go to jail. Sometimes the coach that molests that student or that politician that gets away with it does not go to jail. Sometimes that parent doesn't get caught. Sometimes that coworker gets away with it. Sometimes there's justice in this life and sometimes there's not. But know this, there will always be justice in the next life for everybody. We will all stand before God, whether they receive justice, whether they serve time in, in jail, deservedly or undeservedly, whatever. Know this, sometimes justice is in life, but most assuredly justice will always come in the afterlife. So do we just let people walk all over us? Well, there is balance. Here's an example. The Apostle Paul, he was in prison. He was, in, he was uh, arrested, and he had some trials that came up. And there was a guy who testified, a friend of his, who testified against him. And not a single one of Paul's friends showed up to defend him. And it caused Paul to be in jail, in prison, for several more years. This is, let's look at what he says. He talks about it to his friend. Paul writes to his friend Timothy in the letter, Second Timothy, the second letter to Timothy. He says in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. First of all, he did not put retribution or vengeance on himself to pay, but he gave it to the Lord to pay. See, because someone who obeys and follows God, someone who trusts God, knows and trusts God to bring about the justice. He goes, um, the Lord will repay him for what he's done. Verse 15 you too should be on your guard against him. That means just because you've forgiven someone and just because God's going to take care of it doesn't mean you're foolish with that person again. And it doesn't mean that you allow that person to be a destructive force in the lives of people you love. 
So he says, God will deal with it, but you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. That means he's someone who didn't stand for Christ. He wants to take down other Christians. Don't let your guard down. Be wise. Be aware. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to my support. No one was there to help me in trial. When I was at my first trial, no one was there to stand up for me. I was left alone. But everyone, he said, deserted me. May it not be held against them. Again, no bitterness. He's not, you know, keeping an account of offenses. I tell you, when you carry that kind of baggage, when you carry that kind of bitterness, it's 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 a weight, it's a burden. It's, it is more than any human being can emotionally, emotionally bear. Here's what he did. After he was there, he says, uh, he didn't say, you know what? I mean, I, I, they didn't help me. This person deserted me. Here I am in prison. And he says, I forgive them. I'm not going to hold it against them. But if we don't get invited to a party, it's like, you know what? They're off our friends' lift. We unfriend them. And, and, you know, we, we, we hold it against them forever. If someone doesn't come and visit me at the hospital, doesn't recognize something about some breakthrough that you put on Facebook that you think every person that knows you on your friend list should like, it's like, what kind of friends? They're not liking this. I thought they loved me. The more I know God, the more I realize those who know God trust him to bring about justice. Here's what Paul did, verse 17. He said, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. He says, you know what? I'm not going to worry about what they did to me. I'm going to stand by what the Lord has done for me. He says, for he gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He says, meanwhile, he says, no worries. I'm not worried about it. He says, to him be the glory forever and ever. Basically, he's saying, you know what? I'm going to trust that the Lord will deliver me. If not, he's going to deliver me in heaven. Whether I get out of prison, whether these friends are are vindicated, or whether those people that attack me stop attacking me or not, I'm going to trust the Lord to take care of it. He is good. He will give me strength. He will vindicate me. He will protect me. And even if I die, well, I get to stand with him in in. In heaven for eternity, he's going to usher me into his arms. So either way, it's a win-win. I don't have the burden of pain and bitterness and, and anger and hatred. Instead, I have the freedom of Christ in me to love, to forgive. He did not lie in his bed and cry about all the people that hurt him and let him down. He didn't spew vengeful words and curse them out. 1 John 2, 9, John says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Guys, hatred is a stumbling block for us. Hatred will cause you to fall in ways you never... Hatred stirs so much poor, destructive decisions in our heart. He says... Uh, but because I walk in the light and I don't hate him, I, because I forgive them, there's nothing there to make him stumble. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the dark and he walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. When I hold a grudge, I walk in darkness. When I hate somebody, I walk in darkness. When I don't forgive, I'm walking 
blindly in the darkness. Guys, here's something you need to write down. Those who hold on to a grudge just don't get it. They just don't get it. Some of you here, you don't get it. Well, I'm just, you know, you don't understand the situation. I don't. I don't get it. And you don't either. I don't understand the pain. I've had pain. I've had to let it go. There are people that have hurt me. I've been abused as a child. I grew up in a family that was pretty crazy dysfunctional. But I don't hold anger and bitterness with anybody in my family. I've been in ministry for over 25 years. Man, I have been hurt so many times, but I'm free. I'm free. I don't get why you're mad, but you don't get why I'm free either. Because if you're holding on to a grudge, like John says, you're blind. You're blind. You just don't see it. What are you blind to? Here's a couple of things that if you're holding on to a grudge, you're blind to. Is You're blind to this. You're blind to the high cost of bitterness. What good does bitterness bring? The pain it brings to family, the bitterness it brings to work, the bitterness it causes your parents and your relationship with your parents or your kids or your children, all those wasted years, all those sleepless nights, all those nights where you played it over and over and over and over. You're blind to the cost of that bitterness. Here's another thing you're blind to. You're blind to what God wants. When you are walking in hatred or unforgiveness, you're blind to what God wants for you. Jesus requires nothing less than forgiveness. We're going to talk about this in our small groups this week. Requires nothing less than love and forgiveness. We can't expect to walk in his love and light if we walk in bitterness, hate, or unforgiveness. If you walk in unforgiveness, you will walk in the dark with God, blinded by rage. Some of you can't figure out why you can't get a breakthrough in your walk with God. Who, who do you have a problem with? Who, who's your, who do you hate? Well, I don't know if I hate them. Uh, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I don't ever want to talk to that person again for that way. If I saw them, you know. Sometimes you say, I don't hate somebody, but you have this, this despicable attitude towards someone that is, is blind rage inside of you. It's just bitterness inside of you. And you can't figure out why you're not getting a breakthrough in your walk with God. You know why? Because you're blinded by your unforgiveness and hatred. And you can't know what God wants if you're walking in it. Here's a third thing that you're blind to. You're blind to how much you've been forgiven. Sometimes we we have this bitterness or this rage or this uh, anger towards somebody and we're, we're oblivious, oblivious to what Christ has done for us. The sacrifice on the cross, his shed blood, his torture, his beating, our hatred towards God, our attitudes, our rebelliousness towards God, even while we were enemies, he Christ, Christ died for us. Even while we hated him and wanted nothing to do with him, he reached out to you. And sometimes we are so blinded by our rage, by our anger, by our unforgiveness that we can't even see what Christ has done. We can't even worship. It's words, it's songs, but it's not connecting with the forgiver of sins because you've lost the ability to see that. This is what Colossians, Paul said to a church in Colossae, in verse 13 of chapter 3, says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
Jesus came to win over his enemies, not wipe them out. To love his enemies, not to crush them. And the more I know God, the more I realize how little I know about these things. The more I realize how much I have to learn about these things. The more I realize I must have him to undo my bitterness and my rebelliousness and my independence and my bullheadedness, thinking that I know better. See, this is what John has done today. He has given us the word of God. He's given us something that's quite visibly easy to, to see. Two questions that confront us the ball is dropped. The evidence is clear. This is what God asks. This is what God says. Are you obeying his commands? Is there someone you won't forgive? Because if you walk in rebellion with those, the moment of truth is you're probably not a follower of Christ. That's the reality of this verse. That's the, the challenge. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord. That though you give us the word of God with, with, with boldness, God, it's also with tenderness. And God, I, I, I know, Lord, that there is somebody here that is, that is struggling to obey you, first of all. They're struggling to, to trust you. God, they're struggling to make sense of what you're asking of them. It is inconvenient. It doesn't make sense, God. But God, I pray, Lord, if they're a follower of Jesus Christ, that they would submit to your will, to your word in that area of their life because that's what a follower of Christ does. And God, I know there's people here that the reason they struggle with forgiveness is because they've been hurt so bad. God, forgiveness does not downplay what has been done to us. It doesn't downplay the hurt. It just releases the hurt and instead embraces the love and the freedom and the grace of Jesus. It reminds us of how we have been forgiven. So God, I pray this morning. God, I pray that we would be the real deal, that we would be not plastic, fake, and phony, God, honest with ourselves about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. As the band comes up, we're going to play this video. And um, this is the video we're going to play at the beginning, and then I want to uh, pray over to you guys again. No audio, so... Willa, play that for you next week. You go ahead and stop it. Oh, it's the no, it's the opposite. You gotta, you gotta. Hear he actually says the opposite of what you're seeing. So it's yeah, that's why you're reading that. You're gonna oh, that's I can just read it. No, you, it's it, it's it's next week. It'll all make sense. <laughs> Thanks for the reading. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, let's pray and uh, over our offering. I'm gonna ask our ushers to come forward. And uh, after we pray for the offering, I, I want to I give you an opportunity to respond to Christ today and give it back over to, to Chris to, to lead us in some worship. 
Um, if you're a member here at Living Way Church, be faithful in your giving. We, we really need you to be faithful in your giving. Uh, if you notice in our bulletin, we keep track of what our income is each week. So take a look at that. You can kind of see we've been kind of under budget for the last couple of months. So be faithful. Step out in faith. Trust God on this one even when it doesn't make sense. And uh, let's pray over the offering. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to give. God, it is a trust issue when we obey your word in this area. God, I thank you, Lord, that, God, you've called us to to make a great impact in the world uh, for the kingdom of Christ and, uh, Lord, in our community. And, God, I pray that you would help us to realize it begins with faithfulness and with uh, trusting you in every area of our life, including our finances. God, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you are here today and uh, you said, you know what? This has kind of been a challenging morning for me then uh, as we worship here in a moment, I want you to do something. I want you just to, to talk to God, just cry out to him. Just, you know, if you have areas of your life that you know that, that you've disobeyed God in, and, and you know it, God's spoken them to you today, then as we worship, will you just talk to him about it? Just say, God, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean, because you know what he'll do? He'll do just that. He'll wash you, he'll forgive you. And then after that, after, as, as you leave here today, with a friend, choose to walk in his way and obey his commands. He will forgive you. He's good and faithful and just to forgive us. And as he has forgiven us, we are to forgive those who have hurt us. So as we worship this morning, will you just cry out to God? If you have someone that's really hurt you deeply, family, friend, anybody, and say, Lord, I trust that you will take care of this. Help me not to be bitter and to forgive in Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's worship. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.